This is Cinema Degeneration. I am the devil, and I am here to do the devil's work. I, I just can't take no pleasure in killing. Just some things you gotta do. We all go a little mad sometimes. You wanna know what happens to an eyeball when it gets punctured? You just can't let them go? Go! Hi, I'm Jackie. Wanna play? <laughs> Please, God. This is God. The dead will walk here. I'm just gonna bash your brains. Your suffering will be legendary even in hell. It's alive! It's alive! It's alive! They all they're coming to get you, Barbara. Boy, On our show tonight, sequel to Deja Vu, our hosts celebrate the time-honored tradition of movie sequels including the good, the bad, and the very ugly. From diabolical killers who won't stay in the grave, to science fiction epics whose stories cannot be contained, to a single chapter, and so much more. Join us for the tales you love, and some that you won't believe got made in the first place. I own a motel not too far from here, and you'd be welcome to spend the night if you'd like. My mother is dead. No, I, I won't do that. You can't make me kill her. Psycho. It's starting again. Rated R. Now playing at a theater near you. Alrighty, folks, and you fellow degenerates out there, welcome to an all-new show on Cinema Degeneration. This is a new show that we're doing called Sequel to Deja Vu, where we are strictly doing nothing but sequels. No originals, no standalones. This is strictly sequels only, and we're starting off with quite a doozy. We are starting off with the 1983 sequel to the great Alfred Hitchcock Psycho with Psycho 2, starring the incomparable Anthony Perkins returning as Norman Bates and joining me for this first time show is a good time or a good long-term friend of mine Eric Phillips welcome to the show Eric thank you for having me yeah we we have a special connection with this movie now don't we (laughs) oh yes (laughs) we have uh we'll we'll get into this story when we get to the scene of the film that we share a special memory with uh but yeah it's uh (laughs) We, we got a whole bunch of dirty looks, uh, not to give away a whole lot, but we got dirty looks from several dozen people due to a scene in our reaction to this movie, wasn't it? Uh, dirty and uh, I'd say more confused or slightly <laughs> disturbed. <laughs> <laughs> kind of a little bit of a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. It, it was yeah. a, it was it was a gourmet. It was just it was it was just amazing. The funny thing is, is that we were, well, we won't get into it. We don't want to completely ruin it, but we'll get into that in a little bit. But let's go ahead and start off with our deep dive dis- dissection of this film with a the introduction of the quick IMDb synopsis. 
which is as follows. After 22 years of psychiatric care, Norman Bates attempts to return to a life of solitude, but the specters of his crimes and his mother continue to haunt him. And that's a pretty fair synopsis. Sometimes uh, the IMDb synopsis is a little 50-50 on that. They're, you know, sometimes they're way off base, but that that's that speaks volumes to what this movie is about, you know, is uh, a man just trying to return to a life of normalcy, which is the the odds are stacked against him quite a bit. You know, this is directed by an Australian director. Richard Franklin, who did the 1978 uh, Patrick, and he did Road Games, which uh, apparently Road Games was what uh, got him the job on this film, which I have not seen Road Games for probably, good God, probably 20 years. You know, I've seen this movie multiple times, but Road Games, I, God, I, I might have to seek that out, see if I can find it anywhere. But it's written by Tom Holland. Now, if you don't know who Tom Holland is, he is a legendary writer and director, folks. He did, he did Fright Night. Child's Play, the, some of the Child's Play sequels and whatnot. <clears throat> he did, uh, God, I'm trying to remember here, Thinner, you know, uh, a couple others. Uh, he's actually an actor. He's got quite a few uh, credits. I just saw a short with him uh, called Clown Town recently that was on YouTube that's uh, quite interesting. But uh, I, I love how, like, a lot of people, like, I read some reviews of whatnot of this in preparation. A lot of people were thrown off back in the day in 83 when this came out to the opening. You know, they didn't like the fact that it opened with that infamous shower scene with Janet Leigh. And I thought it was the perfect way to start it. I mean, what'd you think of that? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's been so long since that movie had came out. And you're going to have to reference it at some point in time for a younger generation. Sure, the older generation is going to know right off the bat what Psycho 2 is. But, you know, this was a time that uh, when you went to your local video store, you had a very small selection of horror movies that they got in at the time. So you really had to, you know, take a gamble at what you were renting for the weekend. Right. And... You know, and, you know, that's what they had to put their money on. And so, yeah, why not put that shot in there to go, oh, okay. So this has happened. And, you know, they they really did right by the film. Yeah, I think they did, too. I, I think it's a perfect sequel to an already perfect movie, especially 23 years after the fact, or 43 years after the fact. I'm sorry. <laughs> yes. or, no, no, sorry, about 43, 23. I'm, I'm giving some... Weird numbers here. Sorry, folks, I'm way, way off. <laughs> but 23 years after the fact of coming up with a sequel to such a classic, it had the, you know, the uh, odds stacked against it. And I think they did a wonderful job. Uh, there's enough little winks and nods to the original without feeling too catchy, you know, falling to those pratfalls of trying to imitate the original and just making a good, solid sequel. And I like that they brought back uh, Vera Miles as uh, Lila Crane Loomis, you know, uh, and she's got, pardon my language, folks, but she is a raging queen of a cunt in this movie. Uh, She's the the true villain. Now, everybody knows Norman Bates in all these movies, you know, with four movies, a made-for-TV movie that was sort of unrelated with the Bates Motel movie, and then the Bates Motel TV show. Everybody knows who Norman Bates is. I feel Vera Miles is, you know, as as Lila Crane is the true villain of this movie. 
Like she deserves everything that comes to her later on in the movie. Because let's face it, there this is a movie where there are actually several killers. You know, we're doing spoilers here, folks. So uh, you know, if you haven't seen this movie, watch it first. Pause this podcast, then come back. But there are several killers in this movie when you think about it. And really, it, in essence, Norman doesn't kill anybody until the final frames of the film. You know, uh, we'll get into, like, who kills who as we dissect this film. But, you know, <laughs> Vera Miles, yeah. She, great actress. Uh, hate her character. Hate her character with a fucking passion. Well, you know what? But, her character was so brilliantly written, though, because when the movie starts out, She's in the courtroom and she's got, you know, this petition signed by like, I can't even remember, 700 some people. 700, 800, something like that. Yeah. Something like that. Plus the, including the seven victims. And, you know, and she's, you know, she's, she's advocating like, now this dude needs to stay where he is. And you know what? You kind of feel that at first, but then as the movie goes on, you're like, holy shit. <laughs> okay, the length yeah, to which she's willing to go to try to push her point is, is fucking right. crazy. And and something else too, man. Whoever whoever fucking did the casting in this movie, you know, what a great job casting Meg Tilly because she really looks like Vera Mills. She yeah. looks like she could be her daughter. Yeah, they, like, they did so a really good, they like they did a really good job at that. And everybody is cast really well. I mean, the uh Robert Loggia as the doc, yeah, I forgot his full name. I just always call him, you know, doc, but, uh, and Sheriff John Hunt, you know, uh, Hugh Gillian or Hugh Gillen. He's a great character actor. Everybody in this is really, really good. You know, they're good at playing assholes because pretty much everybody in this movie is an asshole except for Norman. Norman is trying to so hard to just stay on the straight and narrow, not give into his psycho somatic kind of like, tendencies and whatnot he's trying to ride that straight and narrow but he's just you know between uh the warren toomey character and everybody else oh god the greasy machismo (laughs) yeah oh god the the note from the mother when you know when uh, norman has a job you know he's given a job you know his doctor takes him uh dr raymond takes him back to the infamous house on the hill with the hotel lets him know that a guy named Warren Toomey has been running the hotel in his absence and just run it into the ground because it looks like so just ramshackle and held together with like duct tape and spit. And, <laughs> you know, and we had a little bit of a discussion on this movie before we started recording. Like, I really feel like the only character that was nice to to Norman was the doctor. But like you said, you know, He's just like, here, we're just going to drop you off in this house that has all these memories of all the horrible things that happened to you and all the horrible things that you did, and we're just going to leave you alone. Good luck, fucker. (laughs) (laughs) Right? It's fucking crazy. Like, Did you even put him... You know what? Here's something else, man. I didn't see him on Medication (laughs) 1. No, not not anything. They never once show him taking a pill. They never once make a a mention of any kind of psychotic kind of meds that he he might should be on you know this movie is pretty much a how-to manual on how to not treat the mentally ill that on their way to recovery you know it's it's textbook on what not to say to them what not to do to them and how to like treat them 
Because everybody like is constantly calling Norman a psycho, a wacko, you loony. You know, like to me calls him. Right. Yeah. Why would you do that? Why would you say, yeah, you know what? Okay, you know about this dude's past and you know he's friggin' capable of shit. And you're gonna sit here and you know torment the guy? Like, you really think that's wise? Yeah, don't poke the sleeping bear, man. Uh, right, but, you know that that movie is about how the system failed, Norman. <laughs> and right. I mean, and I'll tell you what, and, and, and you know, there's a lot of truth in that too, because the '80s and you know the mental health system back then, man, there was a lot of doctors out there that was pushing that I'm okay, you're okay. <laughs> right, and that's probably what they did with Norman. It's like, well, he hasn't killed anybody in 23 years. He's fine. Let's yes. let him go back to the run of his hotel. Yeah, that's because he's had fucking Thor's eating his pudding and he's been weaving baskets. <laughs> right. Oh, uh, well, what do you think? Of, I, I know what your vote is probably going for, but my vote for worst character in this movie, b- besides. Uh, Miss Lila Crane, you know, is being the real villain here. But the worst character's got to be Warren Toomey, played by Dennis Franz, you know, uh, for, who got famous, you know, for being a great character actor, for always playing an asshole no matter what. But, you know, m- mostly made famous for playing an NYPD blue. But he's just a sleazeball. Uh, would you agree that he's probably the most despicable character in the movie? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And he does it so well. <laughs> you know, right down to the polyester shirt, man. Oh, my God. <laughs> right. Like, I'm going to tell you right now, man, the minute they showed him on camera and they showed that room, I was like, man, you could smell the jizz in that place. <laughs> <laughs> right. It smells like an old dirty cum rag. It's just, <laughs> <laughs> just gans, like, yeah. like yeah. nope. <laughs> It's like I told you, you earlier, to... man. I would trust sleeping in that room just about as much as I would trust taking a fucking cheeseburger from Ron Jeremy. Right. I'm not sleeping, in, not sleeping in that room, and I'm not eating that cheeseburger. Right. There's all sorts of DNA that you just don't want any part of. <laughs> yep. Nope. <laughs> just, I'm not that type of gambler. <laughs> you know, I think this bears mentioning, though, you know, when Norman finally... Uh, after his first day of work and he meets uh, Meg Tilly who plays Mary who we'll find out much later, but we'll break the news to you. Now she is Lila Crane's daughter and she is in cahoots with her to try to drive Norman to the brink of insanity again and get him to break. They want him to break so they can get their petition, some, uh, you know, some leverage and get him put back into a loony bin, you know, but after, you know, there's some back and forth where she has supposedly gotten kicked out of her apartment by her boyfriend. So she walks back with Norman back to the hotel in his house and he's going to give her a free room for the night. FOC, free of charge, which I had never heard that term other than in Psycho 2, free FOC. I was like, fuck, who says that? But, and he goes to check the room first. I like the hesitation as he goes to reach for cabin one the key for cabin one first. And he hesitates because that's the cabin where he killed uh, Mary or, you know, Marion crane in the first movie, Janet Lee. So I love that little hesitation is like, Nope, Nope. Like old ways coming back to him. He doesn't want to do it, but like, this is the note I made here. Murder is okay. Drugs are not because <laughs> see, he is, hasn't, 
you know, Norman hasn't had an interaction with Toomey yet. And, you know, Toomey comes into the, the office where Meg Tilly is waiting, you know, because outside is raiding cats and dogs. And I want to know where he was at. Was he partying in one of the rooms with, you know, Ron Jeremy and somebody else? I don't know, but I'll tell you what. I bet you really cheesy disco music was involved with that fucking outfit he was wearing. <laughs> they were playing some disco inferno. I'm talking really dirty 70s, like friggin' banger gong. <laughs> some crap. <laughs> some T-Rex. But uh, those are the, where I made the note. Murder is okay, drugs are not, because uh, Norman comes back with a couple of vials and some roaches and a bunch of stuff that he dumps into the ashtray. And, you know, because he's uh, afraid that... Uh, Toomey has turned it into an adult motel and he kicks him out. He's like, I want you out of here. Get the fuck out. I want you out by tomorrow. He's like, well, you can't do that. I'm hired by the state. And he's like, hey, the state doesn't have a hold on me or any of my property anymore. Get the fuck out by tomorrow. And that's where I was like, okay, you know, we can murder people in this place, but if somebody's shooting up and smoking some dope in room number three, that's just not okay. Yeah, well, you know, you gotta have standards. Right, right. And I love the fact that they used their original house. I did a little digging on it, and the original house was still standing, you know, that they used from the first movie, but the hotel had to be rebuilt. So they rebuilt it to specs, and it really looks like the same hotel. I wouldn't have known known that it was any different if I hadn't read that. Yeah, they definitely they, – they did an amazing job rebuilding that. You know, it's, it's right out of the first movie. And – I have the next note I have is where Norman's use of the word cutlery. Uh, I, I made a note of it. And then afterwards I did a little research on IMDB and Wikipedia and whatnot, looking at some uh, trivia that apparently when they were doing the table read on the script, uh, Anthony Perkins had a bit of a pause when he used the, you know, uh, cutlery. And apparently he just kind of stuttered over it, and the director liked it so much, he's like, I want you to do that as Norman in the movie. But there is that moment when he's when he pauses over it, it's just like, oh, Mary, get the fuck out of the house. Like, I realize she's there, you know, because her mother, Lila, wants her to be there, and they're trying to, you know, dupe Norman. But, <laughs> like... You know, you, you don't hand the, the guy who's known for knifing people to death a butcher knife and be like, oh, here, you made my sandwich? Oh, here, make my sandwich for me. Oh, you got a knife? Oh, here, cut it for me, too. It's like... Tempting <laughs> fate. <laughs> yes, it's like, I'm just gonna just sit way back here on the other side of the room while you cut that sandwich, Norman. <laughs> yeah. Uh. Like, you know what? I, 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 I like my sandwiches whole. <laughs> yeah. Like if we're gonna yeah. split this, we can just tear this fucking sandwich in half. We don't need a knife. Now, did you notice the the name of the book that uh Mary was reading in the no, movie I when did. she's upstairs in the room? Perfect title. I don't know anything about the book, but the title is In the Belly of the Beast, which the book actually shows up in Psycho 3 as this kind of laying weathered and rained on and halfway in the mud in part three is there's a shot of it laying there which was a nice nod in part three but it's a perfect title for a book like because that's exactly where she is she is in the belly of the beast oh yeah that, that is a, a good catch i know i didn't catch that that's awesome i had to pause <laughs> it because i was just like oh, okay i go get that because that makes sense with the, with the book that was in the i never picked up on it until this one 
that, that, that was the book that's late. They got a shot of laying it in the dirt, you know, out in front of Norman's house. But yeah, perfect title. And there's a poor choice of words on Mary's part when she's talking to Norman and she says something to the fact that he's like, well, you know, I'm not crazy anymore. She's like, and she says something to the effect, well, well, it takes a nut to work there. And it's just like, that's really a poor choice of words when you're talking from a guy that just got out of the loony, out of an institution for the last 23 years. These people really have no idea how to talk to somebody who's mentally ill, especially somebody who's supposed to be in recovery. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it, it's scattered throughout the whole movie and it's, it's, you know, it's like, wow, you know, no wonder people like that. that have mentally ill problems, you know, end up snapping again. Because, you know, they freaking get treated like this by people all around. It's just like, oh, they find out a little bit of information and you're loony. <laughs> right. And, oh, God, when when Toomey shows up on Norman's like, what? what is it, his second, third day of work, maybe at the most? And Toomey shows up and starts harassing him. And he's like, well, I hope he washes dishes better than he runs a motel. And he starts harassing, uh, you know, Mary, because she's a server there. I'm just like, this guy in any reasonable world would have gotten kicked out of that place and kicked out on his ass a long time ago. Yeah, there'd be some guy that just stood up in the diner and be like, okay, bro, get get the fuck out. Especially in the 80s, man. (laughs) Right. He might have actually he actually might have got tossed out on his ass back then. Yeah, he would have probably had somebody that just would have stood up and like grabbed him by the seat of his pants and threw him out the front door. Which is what should have happened to him. But then we get uh, not too long after that, you know, because well, we don't want to jump too far ahead. Somebody leaves Norman a note. And the note says, you know, don't let that whore back into my house again, you know, and he freaks out. And this is one of the few little problems I have with this movie, because he sees the note, he drops it, and he knocks the uh, the fryer baskets into the fryers, which spews grease everywhere, just shooting straight up. And I've worked as a cook slash chef for 25 years, give or take. Fryers do not react like that. Fuck you, no, they don't. <laughs> if you drop ice or water into them, maybe, but if you just drop the, you know, a fryer basket into it, you might get a splash, but it doesn't spew out like a fire hose. So that was the one note I made. Like, fryers do not react like that. They just do not. But it, this movie is a perfect example at this point of being careful who you surround yourself with. Because Norman thinks, you know, Mary is on his side and trusts her and believes her for half, two thirds of this movie before it's brought to his attention that Mary is not who she appears to be. Even when uh, the doctor reveals who Mary is, he still doesn't believe it. Or, you know, at least he doesn't seem like he believes it. But like I said, perfect example of being careful who you surround yourself with. But next we get our first legit movie death, uh, other than the flashback at the opening of Marion Crane getting stabbed in the infamous shower scene. And Toomey gets slashed... You know, it, it looks like, uh, you know, since it's kind of done in a silhouette, you never see the killer's face. But that face slash, when the first swipe comes down and it opens up his face and lays his cheek wide open, is a great effect. Uh, I'm not sure. I didn't look to see who did the effects for this. Uh, you know, I'm not really, uh, I'm not that well versed in uh, who did the effects on it. But it looks really good because when his cheek lays open, 
you can kind of see that fatty layer underneath, you know, and it, as it spews open, it looks really, really good. Um, there's a lot of good gore in this movie. It's very sporadic. You know, it's not really a heavy, heavy gore movie. But once they do get some blood, it flows. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you do. It, and Tubi very... deserves it. It's sprinkled on like a nice seasoning, man. It's not. It's not overhanded. It's just. It's. It's there, and when it is, it's really well done. That is a really good scene. Yeah, and Toomey deserves everything he gets coming to him. Oh, you don't really. Yeah. Get, you don't see anything past the the first face slash because then after that, it just fades to the next morning, and he's forgotten about. But uh, this is the point where I made a note, and this goes without saying, but I have to say it. Anthony Perkins is a fucking treasure as Norman Bates. He is so quirky and so erratic, you know, and they drive poor Norman straight to being full-blown fucking bonkers again, you know, and it is so interesting to watch his, like, slow descent back into madness. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, yeah, exactly. And you know what? And, and you know what else this movie shows is that nobody... Nobody ever takes him very seriously because he's a loony. Even though when he's going, I'm getting confused again. <laughs> it's like, okay, yeah, it's, it's definitely time to get the fuck out of the house. If the friggin' guy that was in a mental institution is starting to get confused again. Yeah, when the guy who's uh, already been convicted of killing seven people, you know, yeah, maybe it's been a few decades and he's cured, but when he says he's getting confused, yeah. it's, it should be exit stage left. I would not be sticking around. I'd be like, I'd be t- if I was Mary, I would have just said, Ma, you can get this guy framed if you want. Get your ass killed. I'm out. Yeah, I'd have snaggle pushed the hell out of there. Exit stage right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'd have been gone. I'd have left a hole in the wall like freaking Daffy Duck in a Looney Tunes cartoon. It would have been just a hole in the wall in the shape of my body. And you'd see me. <laughs> and the imprint of your dust cloud. <laughs> right. Be like, you know, I've never seen Cameron run before, but you're going to see me run now, motherfucker. All right. Yeah. But again, once again, textbook uh, movie on how to not talk, how to not talk to, or how to treat the mentally ill. I, I really think like. The, the, there's another scene that comes up here uh, not too long after that. This is the moment where Mary is revealed to be Lila Crane's daughter. My first note is, fuck these people. Like, I understand coming from the standpoint, yeah, they, this man killed your sister, you know, was re- resulted in killing several other people, and you have a bone to pick. But, you know, let the system take care of it. And the system did take care of it in the way they saw fit. And really, I feel like if they would have left well enough alone and left Norman the, uh, alone, he maybe would have been all right. You know, maybe not, but I'm, I, I feel like he would have been okay. But, you know, that's why I put fuck them. They they are just completely despicable p- people. I rewatched this just today before we started to, uh, you know, do our show. And Patty, my wife, you know, she she watched it with me. And <laughs> she's like... Every, every she's just grit and teeth because she works, you know, in the VA system and works, you know, uh, as a psychologist. So she's just watching all these people that's like, fuck all these assholes. They're so terrible. And she's makes- absolutely right. <laughs> they are. They're absolute. Every single person in this friggin movie has friggin 
let Norman down and are just horrible, terrible people. <laughs> like the the probably best person in the movie who at least has, I feel, Norman's best interest at heart is Robert Loggia as Dr. Raymond. Now he's kind of inept as a doctor because he's ignoring all these signs that Norman, you know, when Norman starts saying, oh, it's my mother. I've been talking to my mother again. He's like, you know, he even goes so far. I want to know what kind of pull this doctor had to get the police to dig up Norma Bates, to dig up Norman's mother's grave, to show him that like, hey, your your mother's really dead. Couldn't he just been like, listen, we're going to get you on some more Thorazine. And did they really have to dig up the corpse? And like, what kind of pull did he have to get that done? I, I can't imagine that he has that kind of weight. Well, you know what? It was the 80s. It was more loosey-goosey than it is now. <laughs> you know, for one. <laughs> right, right, uh, right. The other but thing I... is, here's, you know, uh, here's one thing that not a lot of people think about is Psycho 2 obviously takes place in a small town because, you know... You you watch the first two movies and they talk about how they don't get many customers since the highway came in. Yep, yep. Once so the highway just, came in, it kind of took all the traffic out of town. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, it's it's a small town. So small town politics. Anybody that's ever lived in a small town knows about small town politics and how everybody knows everybody's fucking business. And so once all that got around town, you know. <laughs> It just it's like you said, right. it's a really brilliant movie how they do this. It's it's really set up nicely. Well, and I think that's a testament to Tom Holland's writing. He's great. Oh, and we have to yeah. have to mention at one point he does play one of the two uh deputies. He plays Deputy Norris. Uh he's actually an actor in this movie. Uh he shows up for the first time when well, let's get to this scene. Uh when the, the two kids decide to show up, uh and go into Norman's basement because they've been going there for years to get high, you know, smoke some dope and, you know, uh, play doctor, so to speak. So this boy and a girl show up and they roll out a little mattress. They start smoking some dope. They hear something. They see something. The girl escapes. The boy does not. And he gets stabbed to death by somebody who looks a lot like Norma Bates. And then, you know, the deputies show up because, of course, the girl escapes. She's going to report that her boyfriend just got stabbed to death. But Tom Holland plays one of the two deputies that shows up with uh, uh, Sheriff Hunt. And he's a great, he's a great, great actor. Not so much of, a, of an actor. You know, he, he's a tremendous director and writer. But, you know, uh, acting is probably his third best quality. <laughs> but, yeah, he does make a little... You know, and, and really, like, everybody that, that gets involved in this movie kind of deserves what's coming to them. The kids, you know, are smoking dope and, and fucking in a house that they shouldn't be in. They're asking for trouble. They maybe yeah, didn't ask to die. But... Not only that, but it's like, oh, they, they, that's just common small town stupid shit. Let's go into the psycho house and smoke weed. <laughs> right. Like, cause I, I want to go and cop a feel, uh, you know, on, on this girl that I'm dating in a place where several people got hacked to death. 
And wouldn't they have known that, like, when they kind of noticed, like, oh, hey, there's cars out here, there's people around, maybe it's inhabited again, but no, they go and do it anyway. They get what they have coming to them. Speaking of the people that got hacked to death, you know, they they imply that it's all women, and, and, and one of the other undertones of that movie is, is that they pretty much uh, have this narrative that Norman Bates was kind of a chronic masturbator. <laughs> you know? Which... Think about that for a second. His mother is in his head. Hey, Norman, what are you doing, you naughty boy? Put it away right, or I'll right. slap it. <laughs> you know, nobody thinks about Logging that the shit. Bishop. I'm sorry, uh. mother. <laughs> I'm sorry, Mother. I'll never touch it in front of you again. <laughs> You've been playing with those stealthy girls again. <laughs> well, you know, she, I mean, that's a part of the, the mother psychosis is she was always trying to tell him, you know, I'm your only friend, Norman. Mother, you know, is your only real friend. Like, well, that's why Norman has to spank it. You know, <laughs> yeah, not only that, but like, didn't that shit ever kind of happen where he was in the freaking grocery store or something? Like, goes and reaches for a box of Cocoa Puffs? Norman, don't you get that cereal. You know all that sugar excites you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there was internal yes, dialogue mother. like that somewhere. <laughs> you know, oh, oh, God. And Norman is a cook. Let's, like, I, I have to say, the, the fact that they've made Norman uh, a, a, a chef's helper, a cook's helper in the diner, you know, for a couple of days in this movie. It, like, when he keeps referring to, he's the only person, the only character in the world I know who ever refers to it as a toasted cheese sandwich. You never know anybody yes. refer to a, as anything besides a grilled cheese. I know I'm nitpicking, but. No, actually, there's a, there's a difference. Toasted cheese sandwich is just what it says it is. You pop it in the toaster and you slap cold fucking cheese on it and it's freaking toasted cheese. Grilled cheese is okay, you throw that shit it. in a pan and grill it. So apparently he like he doesn't even like grilled cheese. He likes toasted cheese sandwiches. Whatever, <laughs> Norman. You. Well, like you said, his mother wouldn't allow him to have fucking cocoa puffs. So I mean, I guess grilled cheese is like you don't need all that nasty butter, Norman. It clog up your arteries. <laughs> Why are you putting garlic in a pan? <laughs> <laughs> garlic Gar is for whores <laughs> you don't need no flavor in your life all you need is your mother <laughs> I'm gonna go to the store tomorrow and get you some graham crackers so you can stop that masturbation problem of yours <laughs> Oh, you're gonna get some cinnamon toast crunch Norman <laughs> Uh, okay, okay, back on track, back on track here. <laughs> uh, the next note I have is bloody toilet backup in the drains. Is that really how it works if you tried to flush? One, could you really flush a full towel down a toilet? I'm like, I want to know who was doing that, like who flushed the fucking bloody towel down the toilet just to have it back up and... And, and the blood. I'm, I'm I'm not much of a plumber. I don't know much about plumbing and water and whatnot, but I'm pretty sure that wouldn't work. Yeah, they have to freaking drain the toilet. They'd have to shut the water off, drain the toilet, then push the freaking towel all the way down, then fill it up with clear water, and even then, 
they'd have to block it with something. Otherwise, as soon as that towel got wet after the freaking murder, that freaking water would be red as freaking Kool Aid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but again, it's it's movies, it's movie logic, nineteen eighties movie but logic. The other thing I thought was is like at first until Jen, until uh uh Meg Tilly starts mopping it up uh was that it was in his head. Kind of yeah. like the uh bedroom scene when it's all set up. Yes. Yeah, yeah, when they when the bedroom's all set up and then he gets locked into the attic. Was it the attic or the basement? I think it was the it attic. It was the attic. Yeah, because when he finally gets let out, the room is all like covered in sheets and everything the bed set is is put away and everything so you kind of wonder at first like when it you know the first time you're watching this you do think it's in norman's head until meg tilly comes back in the room and she's like oh shit where's all this blood coming from then you're like okay you know norman's not really seeing all this and it's not too long after this that you know when uh i think it's dr raymond that explains to norman who uh mary really is and really, you know, like he should put two and two together. Mary Crane, Marion Crane. I mean, she was obviously named for her aunt, you know, uh, Lila Crane's sister. But you know, I didn't, I didn't quite put that those two and two together. The Mary Crane, Marion Crane, um, you know, reference there until this particular viewing because it had been. I watched this once, probably about a year ago. I watch it at least once a year, if not twice. It's my fa- it's my favorite of the Psycho movies part two is and but norman's sly reaction at the reveal that mary is lila's daughter shows that his 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 descent back into madness is already happening like you kind of feel like norman at least i felt like norman was fighting it you know fighting these urges coming back at this point i feel like he's just welcomed it with open arms because his sly reveal you know reaction to the reveal is just like oh she is oh well okay <laughs> you know, yeah. Like on like, his face uh, is just like, oh, I guess I got me another another uh, bitch to kill. I, I guess. Yeah, right. It's like, oh, oh no. <laughs> My next big note here, and I wrote this in all caps, and I'm not sure exactly which part of the movie I was watching when I made this note, but I wrote it in all caps with exclamation points. Was Norman is the real victim? I, I think it's brilliant writing in the way that they took, you know, this morally reprehensible character in part one and made him sympathetic here. You know, it's yeah. great writing. Yes, it is definitely. It is, is one of the it's very well written movie. And not only that, when you as you're talking about how Norman is the victim, uh, that scene you were just talking about where the doctor reveals who. Uh, uh, Meg Tilly's character really is uh, right then and there <laughs> he should have been like I'm calling the cops you need to get out of here you're up to something why are you here nope and he just keeps her he keeps her there and keeps her close to him I don't know if he you know if Norman was planning on doing something to her or if he was just in his head having that internal dialogue listening to mother yeah, but either it way, might, it might have been that, or you know what? He it might have been that he really wanted to prove to himself that he was over this, and he could have a female around without killing her. And he trying and trying and trying and trying so hard, and everybody keeps pushing his buttons. And you know, 
for the longest part of the movie, they they make it out to where you know Meg Tilly looks to be the victim of she's going to get murdered by Norman, and then you come to find out it's like oh no, this this is freaking <laughs> she's fucking Loomis. <laughs> yeah. And that's where you really start feeling like everything that you've seen up until this point has been a lie. You know, her arguing on the phone with her boyfriend, her getting kicked out of the uh, house with her boyfriend, uh, you know, from her boyfriend or the out of the apartment. It's all been a lie just to set up to ingratiate herself with Norman. So it's been a big elaborate ruse, you know, and again, like poor fucking Norman, he really got manipulated, you know, and never really has. I've seen them take such an iconic, you know you know, and antagonist in a movie, you know, a killer in a movie and make him sympathetic. Like never have I seen that done to the expert level that they did in this movie. Yeah. It was pure brilliance. You know I mean? They took a, a victim like Lila Loomis from the first one and just showed what 23 years of festering anger turned her into and what 23 years of dealing with, you know, his mother's abuse and whatnot, his, her psychosexual abuse upon him, and tried to rehabilitate himself. Because I truly believe that, like, if Lila and Mary hadn't done what they'd done, Norman might have been okay. But maybe not, Maybe, and we'll never know. Because Psycho 2, 3, and 4 show you exactly where Norman goes to. But the point where, not too long after this, we're... Norman has the phone call where he gets the phone call and he has the conversation with mother. It's pretty freaking chilling because he's like, Oh, you know, this is my real mother. Cause, cause Mary tries to convince him like, that's not, you know, your mother you're talking to. That's my mother. Even she's finally admitted to her, to Norman at this point that she's part of the problem. You know, that she's part of the people that have been trying to, uh, you know, frame Norman, you know, frame him with the killing of the boy, frame him with the, the killing of Toomey. Because at this point, you don't really know who's been killing people. I think they're trying to push it, you know, that like Norman was on the sly killing everybody. But you, you know, by the end of the movie, we'll get to it. But you realize that it's not Norman. Norman, like I said, doesn't kill anybody until the final frames of the movie. And... You know, I mean, pretty much everyone that dies in this movie, besides the pothead kid and the and the doctor, Dr. Raymond, really deserves what's coming to him. And the doctor somewhat deserves what's coming to him. Uh, I think you'd probably agree for, if anything, for just for being incompetent. Yeah. yeah I mean, it's hard to feel bad for the guy when he finally, you know, you know, he ignored so many signs of, you know, something was going on. Norman was getting pushed. He should have been able to tell by if he was a doctor and he knew Norman for 23 years and he treated Norman for 23 years, he would have recognized that any good doctor would have recognized that there was something wrong with his patient, especially a mentally ill one, because they're watched very close when they're let out. Well, they do make the point that like they didn't have a social worker to stay or to check in on Norman and to see how he was doing that. He's like, oh, but I still got you, don't I, Doc? And I'm just like, like you don't have much if this doctor is all you have because it's doctors. And Robert Loggia, I really did feel like it played the character well as somebody who might have been incompetent, but I did feel like he had Norman's best interest at heart, you know, that he just executed it so fucking poorly. 
Yeah. Well, you know what they say, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Yes, and uh, his, his road to hell ends up with a knife in the heart. Yeah. You know, because after we, falling over the balcony. Yeah, after falling over the balcony, yeah. Because he gets, uh, folks, for you that are listening at home, Mary Loomis uh, dresses up as Norman's mother and tries to convince Norman that she is his mother and that who he's talking to on the phone, which there is nobody on the other line, at least that we know of, because she listens in. There's nobody there. She's upstairs talking to him on the phone, dressed up as Norma Bates with the wig, the dress, big butcher knife. And the doc does the dumbest thing. He pops up behind her, wraps his arms around her and goes, gotcha. And then she stabs him right in the heart, like point blank. And it's like, no, I think she got you, motherfucker. <laughs> and then when he falls over the side, it's a, it makes my butthole pucker up just a bit when he falls on the railing and it drives the knife like all the way to the hilt into his chest. It's like, if the first strike didn't get you, that one did, pal. Yeah, that just that's definitely cringe-inducing, man. You're just like, oh, ow. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it's such a nasty way to go. <sighs> uh, that's like, what you uh, get for being incompetent shit. Yeah, yeah, and uh, speaking of that, that's what you get. Our next, uh, or our previous kill scene to this, we jumped ahead a little bit, but uh, Lila Crane, or Lila Crane Loomis, got hers, as she, because the doctor w- was following her. Dr. Raymond followed her into the house. She went into the basement, knew exactly where they had hidden, you know, under one of the cobblestone in the basement, you know, where they hid the, the wig and the dress and the knife. She gets the, uh, there's another scene there where she gets the butcher knife in the middle of her screaming, open, gaped, gaping hole of a mouth as she screams and it pops out the back of her head is again a really great effect it's done really really well even for 83 it's you know great special effects practical special effects no cgi but again yeah. gets Definitely what she has coming to her you know, oh yeah you know the, the blood you know flows pretty good in this movie when it happens you know, like it's few, far, and in between because there's only a few kills. I mean, the first kill of Toomey doesn't happen until probably, what, maybe 30 minutes into the movie, 25, 30 minutes into the movie. But for a slasher slash, you know, kind of killer type movie, you know, it's usually, you know, there, there's some more rapid fire kind of kills and whatnot. But when it happens, they don't skimp on the, the, the red stuff. Well, you know what, though? They weren't setting out to do a slasher movie when they made this. They used to setting out for a psychological thriller, like the first one. Just more up-to-date with the times. Right. And that's what made it so well. And that's when, like, when you transition into three, man, that's when you just, you can picture the fat executive behind some desk with a cigar going, yeah, this is going to be a great franchise. Make another one. <laughs> more blood, more tits, more ass. <laughs> you know, more Jeff Ahi sweaty and doing uh, lots of cocaine. <laughs> uh, Tommy, baby, you got to write another script. And Tom's like, "Fuck no, one was enough." <laughs> I'm gonna do child's play instead. That's what I'm gonna do. Yeah, <laughs> right. And a, a note here, completely a, a little bit off off subject. Did you know that uh, the two scenes with Anthony Perkins playing the piano, the two different scenes where he's playing the piano in the den, is actually him playing the piano? It's a live recording because he was an accomplished uh, pianist and had actually taught piano lessons for a short time. I did I, not know. 
I knew something about him knowing how to play the piano. I did not know that he was an accomplished pianist, and I didn't know he gave piano lessons. But yeah, I knew I, he was playing the piano. Yeah, I, I didn't know any of that. I figured, wow, they really made that look good, and they timed it out. Well, like, nope, they, it was really him playing. So that was a you know, neat little tidbit there. <clears throat> but uh, again... You know, here's the next note I have is don't call the former killer names and such. Don't call him a psycho. Don't call him a killer. Don't tell him, Norman, you're losing it. You're going crazy. It's not good, especially if you're dressed up as his mother. He already has a psychosis about his mother. So Mary probably could have, should have, would have known better. She might have lived. If she maybe if she just like never like started this whole fiasco in the first place, she might have lived. And actually, there was in the shooting script. I don't know if there was a scene that they shot, but I knew it was in the shooting script. Her character was supposed to have lived. Is that the the when the sheriffs and the deputies show up and shoot her at the end, she was supposed to have survived the gunshot and was going crazy, and they were taking her to the loony bin to the institution because she had went, as I like to put a full blown wackaloon, you know, uh, which I think that would have been a neat way to end it. But I remember reading some things that, uh, Meg Tilly did not get along with anybody on set and had insulted Anthony Perkins, you know, mere days into filming. Cause she felt like she didn't know who Anthony Perkins was. She literally had said at one point and was quoted as saying, why is, uh, Tony getting all the attention. Who is he anyway? And like, she had no idea that he was the star of like the first movie. I'm like, how could you not know that if you were making oh. this? So no wonder they probably like, yeah, we're just going to full on kill this character off. Cause we don't want her coming back. Yeah. So, that's a professional. Oof. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's the big oof. Uh, like, yeah. Like, dude, you don't, you don't insult somebody who's been in an Alfred Hitchcock movie and then comes back for a sequel. Right. You know, <laughs> and if you're in the business, you would think you would know who a, the psycho who, who the, the, or what the movie psycho is the legendary status of Alfred Hitchcock and the legendary status of Anthony Perkins. Cause he was quite the accomplished actor. Oh I, my God. Yes. He had done like close to God, I think, uh, 60, 70 movies by the time he had passed on. So he was quite accomplished. I mean, all the way up until the, I mean, uh, the year he died, he was still doing movies, you know? So, I mean, he, he was going strong for many a years. I mean, this was his big kind of comeback into acting, but, you know, you would think if anything, you would do your due diligence and do a little studying up on the significance. Like, oh, I'm doing a movie called Psycho 2. I should maybe learn up a little bit about Psycho 1. Yeah, you know, that's, you know, you would just proper, think, proper but, character development, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I love the line when Norman is trying to, like, he's can now convinced that Mary is, you know, as she's dressed up as his, his mother, that she he's finally flipped his wig and now believes that Mary is his mother. Like, I'll cover up for your mother, like I always did. But he has the line where he says, when he's on the phone before he makes that flip, and he's like, Mother? Killer? Well, do I have to? I really like her. And, like, this is the note I wrote down. is like, bitch, you is in trouble. Just leave. But, no, that's when she comes back dressed up <laughs> as his mother. And she, he's trying to get her to go back down into the basement. And she's stabbing him repeatedly, stabbing him in the hands, you know, 
stabbing him in the shoulders, in the chest. And like when the part where she, this is the now I like to do what I call what the fuck moment. <laughs> what's the fuck moments in, in my show? This is my biggest cringe worthy what the fuck moment when she, she goes to try to stab him in the stomach and he grabs the butcher knife with both hands, the blade. And she just slowly pulls the knife out of his hand, slicing his fingers and his hands open. I've seen this dozens of times, folks, and I'm telling you that never ceases to to make me squirm. That's, oh, yeah, just just cringeworthy. I don't yeah. know. Like, no, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a freaking thing that cooks can feel because, you know, I've, I've sliced myself open with a good carving knife, man, being working at restaurants and shit. And I'll tell you what, man, them knives are no fucking joke. Yeah, <laughs> no shit. That's why I always say when everybody, anybody ever comes in to rob a restaurant, they start in the dining room. They don't start in the kitchen because that's where all the cutlery is at. <laughs> you know, right. The cooks, are, the cooks will fuck you up. <laughs> right. The cooks don't give no shits. The, the, the servers and the wait staff, you know. Which is funny paper. when they, which is, that's, that's, a, that's another funny thing. You got to be crazy to work at this place, which, you know, every cook can fucking feel that, man. Right, <laughs> I do too. I'm, I'm, I've been a cook for 20, 25 years myself, and I've, I've met some uh, crazy people that I I know well enough uh, not to call crazy, at least not to their faces. You you just don't go up to them and go, "Yeah, loody." Right <laughs> now, do you have? But we're, since we're getting close to the end here, and we're going to get into our little story about our bonding over this movie, do you have a single like? moment of this movie that is a the what the fuck moment besides our ending oh man uh, let's well there's there's the uh the good old coal pile reveal <laughs> yeah yep when Elvira miles is uh revealed to be under there and that's the point actually where uh, you kind of think for a moment that norman might have done it because even mary's like you really did it you killed them all but you kind of know, like, from his reaction that he's just as surprised to see her body under the pile of coal as she is. Right. You're like, okay, well, wait a minute. <laughs> How the fuck did she get there? Yeah, somebody put her there. But, uh, you know, Norman gets saved in a nick of time. The police show up just at the right amount of time and shoot, Mar- shoot Mary Crane, Mary Loomis. And they get back to the, the police station and they get the kind of, they're rounding everything up. You know, the sheriff is talking to state police and a couple of reporters explaining everything that we've seen in the last two hours. Which I must must add, this movie is just shy of two hours. It's about an hour and 50, hour and 55 minutes. It doesn't feel like it. Most movies at two hours in length feel too long. This feels like a good solid 90 minutes. It, it moves a, along at a very brisk pace. but yeah, It flows very nicely. Uh, I got to take back a previous statement, too. When we were talking about uh, almost everybody in this movie is an asshole, I take that back because the sheriff does have the fucking Norman interests, uh, Norman's interests at heart because that's when, you know, at the end of what he's talking about, you know, look, Norman didn't do any of this stuff. He was done... Driven mad, and he's like, and he's like, you ready to go home? Yeah, <laughs> you know that's that's when you knew he was like the sheriff, and even when he was, that's another scene when he was brought out to the swamp, and uh, Toomey sees the car. You know, the sheriff's like, hey, you know, Norman, you know anything about this? No, nope. he goes, I know that's Toomey's stuff, and he goes, oh, okay, that's all I need from you, and he sends him away, 
And then he has friggin' uh, he talks with Meg Tilly's character. And he's like, look, I know who you are. You know, we might be a little slow around here, but we ain't stupid. Right. You know, <laughs> that's one of the, another good what the fuck moments. Cause you're like, oh, <laughs> you're right. And then they start pulling up that car and you're like, oh, well, shit, man. <laughs> What's going right. on here? Yeah. And that's when we get into our big reveal. Uh, Mrs. Spool. Uh, played Mrs. Emma Spool, played by Claudia Breyer, and uh, she was, uh, I guess you could say, the hostess, you know, or the main server at the restaurant, the diner where Norman worked, and there was a bit of a reveal in the beginning that she was the one that convinced Dr. Raymond to give Norman the job because she believes in the Christian way of, you know, for, you know forgive and forget, you know, and that's, you know, her thing, so you think of her as a really good character. She shows up at the house and Norman's expecting her like he knows because he's always kept talking about Norman was talking about. I'm not talking about Mrs. Bates. You know, when he was speaking to the doctor, talking about his quote unquote mother, I'm talking about my real mother. Like Norman knew. I don't think he like knew, knew that like Mrs. Spool was his mother, but I think he knew somebody was alive and was his mother and that Mrs. Bates was not his real mother. So there's the big reveal when Mrs. Spiel show or Mrs. Spool shows up, does the big reveal is that she had given Norman up because she was being put away in an institution herself when Norman was like one years old and that she was technic that technically Mrs. Bates was his aunt because Miss, uh, Mrs. Bates, uh, that was Norma, you know, who we thought was, uh, thought of as Norman's mother was really the sister. So she was just kind of standing in for, and this is the point where (laughs) I'm I'm just trying to keep a straight face so I can, and and not laugh so I can mention it. You know, Norman, you know, for those of you who don't know, killed his mother by poisoning her tea, you know, in the first movie and the events leading up to the first movies that he had poisoned her with tea. He's now making Mrs. Spool his real mother some tea and you know i'm like like you were saying about not trusting a cheeseburger made by john jeremy i would not trust a pot of tea made by norman bates either no (laughs) you just don't do it baby (laughs) now this is the point where i don't know do you want to take uh take the reins on this one and tell the story about leading up to our uh our you know our bonding moment with this movie and telling a little the folks a little bit about the backstory this is not how we met but like how we I would say how we really got to know each other. Oh man. Well, uh, we were filming, uh, your movie PMA 2021. And, uh, we were in a movie theater and because, uh, it was free source and we were, Mm -hmm. uh, able to, you know, have people come in, get their makeup done because, you know, there was a lot of zombies that had to be in makeup and stuff. So when people got done with their makeup and, you know, we're between getting makeup done and waiting for the shoot to happen, you know, people are in there watching Psycho 2 in the movie theater. And so I get with my makeup done and I'm full zombie makeup, you know, <laughs> I gouged out and everything. And the scene looking, this, ver- looking very good, by the way. Oh, yes. <laughs> and we're sitting here watching this movie. And, you know, you come in and we start talking. I can't even remember what the heck we were exactly talking about. But this scene popped up and me and you laughed. 
and everybody in the theater just kind of turned around and, you know, sees me in full zombie makeup and you, the guy who's in charge of the shoot and everything, just full on hysterically laughing. And everybody else is just looking either disgusted and slightly confused. <laughs> I had a little bit of both. Because what happens is, I mean, Norman doesn't wait for the poison to take hold of Mrs. Spools. She takes a sip, and as she starts to lean forward, he pulls out a shovel, bonks her in the head, and knocks her clean to the floor, killing her. And you have to picture this, folks. We're, we're it's a sick world, but we're happy guys. <laughs> so we well, he just... delivers that he delivers that great line first too before he picks up that shovel. He walks up behind her and he goes. Would you like a toasted cheese sandwich? And she goes, ha, boom. <laughs> <laughs> we, do, we both laugh just pretty much like I just laughed. Full, straight from the belly, laughing. Every head, dozens of people in this theater just turning and looking at us like in shock and looking at how inappropriate the timing of that laughing was. And that's like, we were friends for a while leading up to this, but I think that was the moment we became brothers, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. and I'm like, this is the note I had. I go thus instating Eric and I's bond for life. <laughs> yeah. That movie was oh, so many great movies, just memories. It was the same day too, that I got, in trouble at a gas station because I was still covered in gore. <laughs> and the friggin' lady behind the counter looked at me and she she's just like got this look like she's not quite sure if it's real or not, because you know it's mid fucking I don't know, it's like July or something. Yeah, I think no it was like for, July or August. <laughs> no need for fucking makeup and I'm covered in gore and I'm like, what? I told the bitch twice. Going to the bathroom and come out, and there just happened to be a cop there. I had, to oh. explain, I had to explain that I was joking and that there was a movie shoot going on, and it's just it's like, look, it's Kool Aid and it's, it's fake. Yeah, you can some smell crushed pineapple, it's some Kool Aid food coloring, and latex. You can smell the sugar in it. Like, here, smell my shirt. <laughs> it smells like peanut butter, okay? It'll thank God it didn't look anything like real blood, man. <laughs> right. Well, because we, you know, let's, uh, so people know we were shooting in black and white so that we could fudge on the effects a little bit. You know, it was all about shading back then. But yeah, we got in so much trouble at various gas stations and places of business walking in and out covered in zombie makeup and blood. But like thus cementing our bond for life with that. Oh, <laughs> great times. But <laughs> the last the last note I have, because that's virtually the end of our movie, other than uh, Norman carrying his new mother back up the stairs and having a full on conversation where he's talking to her and talking back to himself in Norman's mother voice. You know, set me in my chair so I can make sure you don't bring any dirty girls back in here again. I'm like the whole movie comes full circle. Norman is completely reborn as his former self. And that iconic last shot of uh, him standing on the staircase leading up to the house with mother watching from the window is fucking beautiful. And it's just it's so prophetic. It, it's just beautiful. It, it's a perfect end to an almost perfect movie. You know, it's, it's beautifully done. And, you know, we'll talk at some point one uh, one of these days. We'll we'll probably cover Psycho 3, maybe Psycho 4 at some point. But 
Psycho 3 is where Norman really goes full tilt boogie mad. You know, oh, that he's, Laura that, Petty movies where I draw the line. <laughs> yeah, the, the Base Motel TV movie. Ooh, I have the box set. Now, I have the box set with that movie. I've watched every movie on that a multitude of times, even Psycho 4, which is not a favorite of mine. Oh, Psycho 4 is so hard to get through. It's so boring. The only parts <laughs> worth watching is the parts with Anthony Perkins, which he is barely in it. It's mostly flashback footage of uh, Henry Thomas playing young Norman. And, you know, I, I, that's, that's what that movie suffers from is not having enough, you know, Anthony Perkins in it because he well, is not the only that, he... but Norman Bates calling in on a radio show. Yeah, yeah <laughs> after the, all the craziness that was part two and part three, they just kind of dropped the ball and kind of went made for TV style with that one. It was just very, very boring, not very good writing. Tom Holland and Anthony Perkins is what sells this movie. Yeah, let's call it what it is. It was a fucking cash grab to a franchise. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And, you know, I think that might have been the uh, directing debut of Mick Garris. And let's face it, you know, Mick Garris is an accomplished director. He has a couple of really good hits, you know, but he also has a couple of uh, really bad misses at the same time, you know, for... For every good movie on, on in his uh, filmography, there's uh, quite a few that are really, really bad. You know, but we're not here to talk about that movie right now. We're here to talk about nope. part two. But, <laughs> but you know, but but still, that being said, like I said, I think that might have been Mick Garris's first movie or second movie. No, actually, I think he directed one of the first films before he directed Psycho 4. But anyway, we'll do that. We'll cover that one day when we do a show on uh, Mick Garris. But Psycho 2, as far as I'm concerned, this is where it's at. It's it's my favorite sequel of the series, you know, part two, three, four, even the Base Motel movie. I can't speak for the uh, the Base Motel TV show, which I'm about to get started here. As soon as we finish Daredevil season three, which we're in the middle of, we're going to start uh, Bates Motel and watch that all the way through, which I'm interested to. I know you've seen it. What, what were your thoughts real, real quick, like on uh, the Bates Motel TV show? I, I really thought it was well-written and well-done. They did it the lore really well. It's, you know, it's kind of updated to modern times a little bit, um, but it's really well done. Yeah. And, you know, it, you can, it's, you can really, you know, see the slow descent into madness and make, you know, it makes Norman the way that he is. You know, uh, I think they might have put him a little bit on the spectrum. Ah, gotcha. But it's still, it's got, it's, it's really got to be, well uh, done. It's, it's got to really be a well lot done. better than a uh, lot better than the Bates Motel TV movie. <laughs> I'll tell you that it's got to be better. <laughs> Oh, it's 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 loads better. It was very well written. It well, it's it, you can tell the people that did this really had an appreciation for the Psycho series, and you know it, it's very well done. They they really do it right. Right I on, right very, on. I, I was very happy with it. I'm I'm excited to get started on it. Uh, we'll have to probably get started on here in the next week or two. But uh, that being said, let's go ahead and get into our final thoughts and reviews. And I know this is your first time being on the show, but the rules are guests go first. So go ahead and give us your quick um, final thoughts and summary on Psycho 2 and a uh, rating on a scale from 1 to 10. 
Well, you know what? I think as, as far as sequels go, this, you know, sequels have a reputation of being, for the most part, just god awful, you know, but every now and then you get a gem. And this one, you know, Tom Holland's writing, and uh, I'm, I apologize to the director. I don't know who the director is, but the direction, you know, uh, Richard, you could Franklin. Really t- Richard Franklin. Yep. You could really tell that these two really came together, really wanted to put, you know, pay homage to the first movie, wanted, you know, to put it out well done, do it right. And they did. They succeeded. You know, you go and look at other sequels and some of them can just be real trash. And, you know, and it's really nice to have something that, you know, you can really see the appreciation for it. And, you know, you know, out of one out of ten, I I got to give it a nine, man. I do. I got to give it a nine. It's really, really, really well done. I agree with you on several levels. I'm, I'm coming in slightly lower than you. Uh, my, I'm coming in at an 8 out of 10, which is, I, I, as much as I love the original Psycho, I only give that a 9 out of 10. Like, I still love, you know, uh, Alfred Hitchcock, but this movie is just slightly under, you know, um, the original Psycho as far as on a technical level, because let's face it, there was only one Alfred Hitchcock. But again, Richard Franklin and Tom Holland, they worked really good in tandem together to create a project that didn't feel like, as you put it with like Psycho 4, didn't feel like just a cash grab. It felt like they were really trying to play, you know, a good homage to, you know, Hitchcock style, you know, with a little bit, you know, of course, updated gore and kind of more of the sign of the times, you know, coming into the late 70s, early 80s. But, you know, everything is great about it. It's expertly directed, well-crafted. There's the music is great. The writing is, you know, we've said this many times already over the show. The writing is what is the really strong point of this, because without a good script, you don't have a good movie. It's hard to it's hard to polish a turd, you know, and they have a really, <laughs> really good uh you know, hence Dennis Franz in this movie. Franz, you know, he, Warren Toomey is pretty much a turd that you can't polish in this film. <laughs> but he does it so well. <laughs> he, he plays that character so well. You know, he made a career out of it for, you know, 30 plus years. But, you know, it's expertly directed, written, choreographed, acted. Everything about it is is top notch. But, yeah, I, I, it's a solid, solid movie. I would like to at some point review psycho three which i come in a little bit lower on psycho three because it's not so much a cash grab as psycho four was but that they made uh you know norman comes full circle at the end of this movie and goes back to his old ways and he is really at his old ways and really deviant uh in psycho three and that's why it was so hard to watch psycho four and just kind of seeing a watered-down version of Norman Bates calling in at a radio show, like, oh, should I kill my wife because I don't want my my son to end up like me? And it's just like, it just seemed very, eh, very wishy-washy. It was a, it was a sad way to end uh, Anthony Perkins' run as Norman Bates. But this is a great sequel. It's a perfect example of a sequel done right. And especially 23 years after the fact, you know, after, you know, how long, I mean, how many other sequels have come along 20, 25 years after the original and didn't feel out of place? I felt like this movie was a perfect successor. 
But that being said, folks, you have been listening to the very first episode of Sequel to Deja Vu on the Cinema Degeneration Network. I have been your host, Cameron Scott, and this has been my co-host, Eric Phillips. And Eric, I want to thank you for taking a good hour or two hours out of your uh, schedule you know, to, to join me on the show. And hopefully I can convince you to come back on and cover a couple more crazy sequels. Oh, anytime, man, anytime. It's been fun. Now let's not let it be a couple of years before the next time we actually talk on the phone, though. All right. <laughs> no, let's 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 not do that. <laughs> yeah. On that note, uh, I think we'll bid you a fond farewell. And just remember, the last thing that you want to call somebody who hacked and slashed seven people is, "Who the hell, you loody?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's the last thing you want to do, folks. That's that's uh, my little uh, uh, wink and nod to telling you how not to treat the mentally ill. <laughs> Calling them a loony. Probably not a good thing. You get your face slashed open. But any, in, in any case, folks, thanks once again for listening to our silly little show, and keep listening. Do you have a knife? No, I'm afraid. I don't. I, I just moved back here after being many years away. I forgot to bring it.